fell in, it was just possible that he might drown. The lane that rose a steep, curling mile through the forest to the main road was always mirrored with wet, while the cobbles between the cottages closest to the slipway had never lost their green winter sheen. The trees that threatened to push Limeburn's twenty-odd houses into the greedy sea below never dried out. Leaves dripped, even when the sky did not. The stream spewed from the cliff face like a fire hose, and the steep dirt footpaths that escaped Limeburn through the woods were nothing but lethal slides. Not that that stopped anyone, of course. There were only five children in the village, so they were forced to be playmates, just as they were forced to live in this dank place that smelled of kelp. Chris Braund was the eldest at thirteen. His brother Adam was a year younger, but a year taller. The Brauns were descended from Armada sailors washed ashore, and they all looked like gypsies. Then there was Ruby, with her shock of red hair. After her came seven-year-old Maggie Beer and her two-year-old sister Em, who slowed them all down. Both were stick-thin and see-through pale. Maggie had to linger for Em, the boys went on ahead, while Ruby was always left somewhere in the middle. To the west, they were allowed to climb the path through the forest to the stone stile. In a small clearing there, a bench on the cliff looked out through a leafy frame and over the black pebble beach to the gore. The gore was a slim, flat spit that jutted a hundred yards into the waves before turning abruptly and stopping. It was said that the devil had tried to build a bridge across to Lundy Island, but had been thwarted when his shovel broke. Ruby didn't like the gore, or the story. They made her wonder where the devil was now. Hanging from an ancient oak beside the bench was a loop of fraying rope where they could swing if they wanted to burn their palms and fall in the mud. Still, they did swing more often than not, because that was all there was to do. Sometimes Chris and Adam climbed over the stile and went on up the pathway. All the way to Clavelli, Chris had boasted on several occasions, but when Ruby had asked him to bring her back a toy donkey from the visitor centre, he said they'd run out. Ruby never went past the stile. That far and no further, her mother had warned her. That was partly why. The other part was that, even on a sunny day, the woods beyond the stile were too dark and too quiet, a tunnel of green with a threat of the unseen drop on one side and tangled undergrowth rising on the other. The pixies in the woods would lead you in circles, even right off the cliff if they could. You'd have to turn your coat inside out to keep them away. At the foot of the Clavelli path was a small stone beehive-shaped hut. They didn't know what the hut was supposed to be for, but they called it the bear den, because even in the dry it smelled like bears. The children took turns to squeeze through the tiny door and sit in the dark, with their knees tucked under their chins for as long as they could stand it. Adam held the record, which was ages. To the east, the Peppercombe path was even steeper, a switchback of mud and wooden planking in a makeshift staircase between clinging brambles.
Halfway up was the haunted house where they weren't allowed to go. They spent much of their time there, picking among the cinders in the fireplaces and knocking glass from the empty windows at low tide to hear it tinkle on the wet pebbles a hundred feet below. Each year, the worm-chewed floor jutted out further and further over the disintegrating drop. There was one place where Ruby could lie with her eye to a knothole in the floor where there was nothing between her and the dark grey sea. It was like flying or falling. Ruby Trick lived in a tiny two-bedroomed cottage called The Retreat. It was owned by a family in London who had bought it and named it and then found it was too distant, too dreary, too damp to retreat to even just once a summer.